Justin Trudeau's singular focus on climate change is making our economic problems much, much worse. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope everyone out there had a wonderful weekend with their families or doing whatever it is you like to do. Uh, at my house, we were having a birthday party. My uh, youngest daughter is turning one, and so we had a one-year-old birthday party. I don't know if you've ever been to a one-year-old's birthday party, but it's really more for the parents. The the, the baby or the one-year-old doesn't really know what's going on. It's a little like overwhelming. You know, people are uh, there's balloons and there's lots of kids running around, and they do this whole cake thing, uh, which is like very confusing for the baby. So anyway, uh, it was it was a lot of fun over at my household. And you know, while uh, while we're sort of taking moments off to enjoy the little things in life, uh, the, the the picture out there, the economic picture is looking pretty gloomy. And I'm going to focus the show today on uh, just doing a snapshot of the Canadian economy, looking at where we are, and sort of comparing that with the things that our prime minister is talking about, what his focus is, and what the media is focused on, because the media, being the media isn't really doing their job. Sure, there's sporadic coverage of the various economic crises that are on the horizon. However, that's not the main focus. You know, the main focus of the media is is cheerleading behind the liberals and all of their harebrained schemes that are coming out of COP26. Uh, the focus is on sort of petty partisan squabbles that are happening in both the Liberal and the Conservative Party. And what, what we're not seeing is, is really a comprehensive look at some of these various economic issues in the country. So I want to I want to talk a little bit about that and kind of give you a ballpark picture of just how badly Justin Trudeau is screwing things up in our country, how reckless and irresponsible he is by coming up with these pie in the sky green schemes, which will not uh, save the planet. They will not reduce carbon emissions. Uh, what they will do, though, is make our economic suffering uh, much worse and, and create a very potentially dangerous situation for Canadians. So, so, so look, the reality is that COVID-19 is still here. You know, we, we, we were promised that if we all went out and got vaccinated, uh, life would go back to normal. The economy would open back up. We'd have to, we would stop having to wear masks and life would go back to normal. Of course, that didn't happen. Uh, that didn't happen. We all went out and got vaccinated. And then now we just see the constant moving of goalposts. So, you know, at first it was, we, we talked about this last week, at first it was two weeks to stop the spread. Uh, that was almost two years ago. And then it was, you know, everyone get vaccinated and you don't have to wear a mask anymore. You can go back to normal. Then now it's, uh, you know, vaccinate your little children and uh, go get a booster shot. And, we're, you know, there's no end in sight. They, they won't give you a hard number of, you know, what percent vaccination we need to see before we can go back to normal. We don't get a, uh, a, a timeline of, you know, how many cases, uh, what, what case level there has to be to go back to normal. Um, that's all out the window. They're keeping vague because they know that, that the health experts and the politicians know that when they make specific promises, they don't keep them. So, so they just keep them things vague. Uh, they don't they don't pr provide the specifics that we're looking for and that way uh, their words can't be used against them but but back to the economic uh, issues and and the sort of fallout from COVID that we're still experiencing all over the world. So first, this story is from BNN Bloomberg. It says Canada's employment engine shifts into lower gear. So the number of Canadians in the labor force shrunk 
in October. It actually went down. We lost 25,000 jobs. It shed 25,000 jobs according to a Statistics Canada report. The bulk of the gains in the month were in pandemic-exposed retail sector, which returned to pre-pandemic levels with a net gain of 72,000 jobs. However, there were huge job losses in other parts of the economy. So elsewhere, gains stalled. Employment in goods-producing industries went down by 6,200. And public administration also posted a decline. Of course, it had jumped up in huge numbers in September because of the federal election. Federal election requires the hiring of uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of um, temporary poll workers so that those were the public administration jobs that were sort of fake jobs for the month of September. Now they're gone and we're exposed to how uh, anemic our economy is. So of course this is what happens when we live in a society where people don't trust the rules. They don't trust that the rules of the game are going to stay the same. No one wants to take a risk. No one wants to go out and start a business right now, whether it be a, a restaurant or opening up a store or, or going into some kind of uh, any kind of business. Uh, there, there's real hesitation by small business owners and entrepreneurs about what the rules are going to be one month, three months, six months from now. So you don't see that sort of economic engine uh, that's driven by small businesses and entrepreneurs. And then at the same time, of course, you have this really tight grip in terms of the, the, the tax and regulatory regime in Canada, which already suppresses the sort of entrepreneurial spirit um, in the country. So, so you kind of have these dual issues at play. I'm sure there's other issues at play as well, which we'll talk about some of the supply chain issues in this, in this show. But really, as a society, we've just become painfully risk averse. We see that with all of the COVID rules, the fact that there's so many people who comply, you know, they don't want to contract COVID. They don't want to be exposed to COVID. Many of them don't want their kids to be exposed to COVID, even though we know that children don't really have negative experiences from COVID. It's not really a threat to them in the same way as it's a threat to adults. You can see that by the incredibly, incredibly, incredibly low case mortality rate. Um, you know, fewer children die of COVID than, than do of the flu um, and influenza. Uh, very, very low numbers. We're talking 17 kids in the last two years. And uh, we don't know the, the specifics about the, the um, comorbidity rates uh, among those, those 17 uh, because of privacy. So, so really very, very, very low number, low hospitalization rate as well. But, but, but people are still paranoid. They're paranoid because they've been exposed to a um, legacy media that drums up fear, uh, to politicians who, who promise that, you know, uh, the, the key to return to normalcy is just everybody get vaccinated, including little kids. And so because of that, we kind of live in this society of like heightened fear. We've really let uh, basic freedoms slip away. And part of the real issue here is when you have a society that heavily favors um, safety and security and even um, uh, has patience for the sort of authoritarian impulse of the government and says it's okay that we have all these authoritarian rules because we want to stay safe. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's a very scary picture um, in terms of the loss of freedom, erosion of freedom, uh, but also, you know, on the economic front, um, again, that, that, that sort of risk averse, not wanting um, to go out there and take a risk by starting a business, uh, creating an idea, uh, building the economy, that, that's, that's what's needed. And those values are sort of slipping away within all this. And that's something that's uh, rarely spoken about, the sort of uh, second and third order consequences and unintended consequences of this sort of new um, health pandemic mentality. And, and, and sort of connected to that lack of entrepreneurial drive and just a lower job creation, the anemic economy that we're experiencing are these massive, massive supply chain issues that you know, we, we started to experience them a little bit throughout the last year or so, but they've really exploded. They've really exploded. I'll, I'll give you an example. I was out in Los Angeles a few weeks ago, and as I was flying 
into the city, uh, I, I just looked out the window and I, I couldn't believe my eyes. I, I just saw, a, you know, you're, you're looking out the bay sort of over um, Long Beach in Los Angeles. And there, there were probably a hundred, maybe, maybe dozens or a hundred um, tanker ships just sitting out at sea, just sitting there. Um, you know, waiting, I guess, to be unpacked. And, and, and there's huge labor supply issues that are happening in the Port of Los Angeles. It's the largest uh, port in the United States, the largest port in North America. And you just see these ships and just sitting there, you know, and, and those are goods that are needed to, to keep the economy going, you know, things that people have ordered, things that people need for their business. And, and, and it's just sitting there. So, you know, the really, really major issues with regards to a lack of ability to get things sent. Um, also, I know this, my, um, my mother-in-law owns a furniture store and I know that people who are ordering furniture, people who are trying to get things for their homes are experiencing crazy delays, like year-long delays if, if you're ordering a sofa or if you're trying to buy maybe a new car. There's, there's all kinds of just shortages out there that are having so many different impacts on the economy and, and it really is starting to feel a little bit chaotic. Uh, this is a story over in the CBC, seven products that have been disrupted locally by the global supply chain chaos. COVID-19 has led to shortages everywhere. The article is just basically saying the same thing. COVID-19 has triggered a series of circumstances which have wreaked havoc all across global supply chains, causing everything from transportation bottlenecks to labor disruptions to scarcity of materials, furniture and appliances, cars, toys and video game consoles, flowers and construction materials. Those are the seven products. And as you would know, uh, some of those things when you talk about uh, electronics or you're talking about construction materials, uh, that's not just having an impact on one industry. It affects everything. And so you can, you can, really, you can really see that issue and, and how it's starting to rear its ugly head. And yet, you know, last week, our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, went to the G20 meeting and I didn't hear anything about the global supply chain issues. I didn't hear any kind of strategy. You would think that the purpose of an organization where the heads of the 20 biggest countries in the world get together, particularly for a focus on economic issues, that's the whole point, is to talk about financial, global, uh, global stability, the financial systems, the financial markets. The whole purpose is to talk about these issues. And instead, Trudeau marched in there uh, demanding climate change commitments uh, from the world leaders, which, again, COP26 was the very next day. So we had the entire COP26 conference. You know, the G20 meeting was one day. COP26, I believe, is 12 days. So yeah, you got 12 days to talk about climate change, one day to talk about the global financial systems and the economic systems. Why not focus the whole thing on, on what you can do to move these supply chain issues uh, along, uh, to get to the root of the problem, to try to figure out ways uh, to improve the situation. Instead, you have our naive ideological prime minister saying that he's focused solely on climate change, that that's, that that's what he cares about and that that's what he wants to talk about. Instead of dealing with the issues today, the issues on our doorstep, uh, the complex, uh, very, very difficult to solve issues of today and tomorrow, uh, Trudeau is would prefer to pontificate about an issue that may or may not have an impact on us 50 to 100 years down the road. So again, strange set of priorities over there from the prime minister. Uh, here's another report. This one's from TNC.news. Negative impacts of supply chain disruptions could last until mid-2022, according to a Canadian report. So Canada could face negative downstream economic effects 
for some time due to current and ongoing supply chain disruptions plaguing the country. According to the auditing firm RSM Canada, Canadian businesses can expect disruptions such as port closures, factories shutting down, production halts, and labor shortages well into next year, 2022. And of course, there is corresponding uh, spike in the prices of things because if you can't get things, if there are shortages, if there are products that you can't get, it drives the price up because of scarcity. So many people are competing for the same scarce resources. Those prices are going up and that is what we're starting to see. The price of certain food items is soaring across the country, surpassing the rate of inflation. According to new data from Statistics Canada, the cost of meat, produce and dairy up 20 to 30% in certain provinces. Again, according to Statistics Canada, written up over by TNC.news. So according to the federal department, meats, produce, dairy up 20 to 30%. Since the onset of COVID-19 pandemic, food prices have been impacted by factors such as weather supply disruptions and shifting consumer demands, according to Stats Canada. And, and look, there's multiple issues at play. It's sort of a confluence of issues because you have the supply chain disruptions, the the just total bottleneck in, in certain areas, the inability for people like the, in the port of Los Angeles to just unload uh, the products fast enough in order to get them to market. Uh, whereas at the other side of the supply chain, um, lack of workers, lack of ability, lack of capital to invest, to go extract materials needed. Um, so that's on one side. And then on the other side, you have governments who have dealt with COVID-19 by and large by just printing money, by, by borrowing, spending, 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 borrowing, 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 not having enough, not having enough access to pay for all of the bills that they're spending. And so they have resorted to printing money, mass printing of money on a scale that we haven't seen in decades. And the whole thing is justified by this sort of new left-wing monetary theory, economic theory, that's really just an old economic theory, but it's wrapped up as this new theory. It's called the modern monetary theory. And the idea is just that our economies are really strong that countries are really wealthy and that we have, um, if, you know, if you have your own currency, you can just print a lot of money and pay for it and there won't be a huge consequence. So that's a very simplistic way of explaining it, but more or less, that's, that's the idea, is that uh, you know, we're, we're very prosperous, we're very stable, we're very rich, so we might as well just print all this money and you know, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but let's just try it and see what happens. And so that's where we are. It's not just Canada, it's happening across the West, it's happening across Western Europe, and of course in the United States. States. Um, but what we know about uh, the printing of money is that the more money you have, uh, the less it's worth because you have more of it. And so because of that, every dollar is worth less. And that's what we're seeing. Huge growth in inflation. Every single month, the Canadian government aims for about 2% inflation. And every month we see upwards of four, it's approaching 5%. And so, so you know, this is this is what we're seeing. So it starts with the printing of money. Trudeau racked up the biggest deficit ever in just two months. So this was back in April and May of 2020. The shortfall, so the amount that Trudeau was spending that he didn't have, that, that was less than the amount that they were bringing in through revenue, through taxes, uh, was $87 billion, uh, according to the finance department figures that were released. So, so, so sure, uh, Canadians supported this idea. Canadians wanted the Trudeau government to dig in and borrow a bunch of money so that that people wouldn't have to uh, necessarily go into their own debt. You know, if you lost your job, if you were laid off, it was the government that forced the economy to shut down. So it sort of only made sense that the government would then uh, pay your bills while you were forcefully unemployed. I, I do understand that and I do support the idea 
I, I didn't really support the idea of mass lockdowns, but if you're going to have mass lockdowns, then I do support the idea that you have to at least pay the people because otherwise it's just completely unfair. So it did have political support, but it was a dramatic departure for uh, Canada, which was uh, had a long-standing aversion to high debts, to big deficit spending. And really what it did was just push the problem down the road, leave the problem for future generations. Canada is now years away, perhaps decades away from balancing the budget. Uh, remember the parliamentary bureau officer um, had a projection that under Trudeau's plan, Canada would not balance this budget until 2070. So, you know, we're talking about almost 50 years of piling on more and more and more debt. Uh, in, in 2021, uh, the, the Liberals again created an absolutely staggering deficit, a $354 billion projected deficit for this year. So so they really blew the bank out last year. And then instead of you know calming things down and removing all of those temporary measures, they kind of just kept it going. Kind of just kept it going and continued to absolutely uh, blow the budget, spend on an unprecedented level. Uh, we've never seen anything like this. Uh, Canada's federal debt is expected to cross the $1.3 trillion mark. Uh, remember when Justin Trudeau was uh, first elected? He, he promised to do tiny little deficits, $10 billion, small little deficits uh, relative to the size of government, and then get back to normal. Well, that, of course, was total nonsense. Totally, totally untrue. He's more than doubled the debt. He's almost tripled the debt. And Canadians will pay for it. And what happens when you blow the bank, when you when you spend all this money, borrow all this money, it's hard to get bonds to actually cover the money that you're borrowing. So again, they've resorted to inflation. They've resorted to printing lots and lots of money. And this leads to inflation. So we're going to talk a little bit about inflation and how that happens. But first, if you're watching this video on YouTube right now, I'm just gonna stop you. I'm gonna ask you to please like this video, leave us a comment. Don't forget to subscribe to True North. And if you really enjoy our programming, you don't wanna miss an episode, don't forget to hit that little red notification bell and never miss an episode. If you're watching on Facebook, don't forget to like this video, share this video with your friends, leave us a comment and go over and like the True North page. Finally, if you're listening to the show in podcast form, wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Apple, uh, where, wherever it is that you enjoy the Candace Welcome Show, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps us out. And don't forget to subscribe to the Candace Malcolm Show. So why does printing money lead to inflation? Well, inflation, it, it's, it's actually fairly simple. I know that uh, a lot of Canadians, uh, you know, their eyes roll over when you start talking about this kind of thing. And Trudeau kind of got away uh, on the election campaign. He said, Canadians will forgive me that I don't really think about monetary policy. And Canadians forgave him. Most of them just sort of shrugged and said, whatever, neither do we. Um, and so, you know, Trudeau got away with that. But but really, this is a serious issue. And I think Pierre Polyev is, is one of the only people in the country who's properly reacting to this and, and ringing the alarm bell and raising his concern and talking about how this really is a tax. It's, it's, a, it's a hidden tax um, that makes all of our money, all of your savings, all of the money that you saved up, uh, your paycheck, all the money that you use to live, it makes it less valuable. So inflation is the decline of purchasing power of a given currency over time. Inflation is the rate of which the value of the currency is falling. Consequently, the general level of prices and goods and services is rising. So the general idea is just that the amount of money that it used to take to pay for things is no longer the case. So, you, you know, your salary remains the same, your take home pay after taxes remains the same, uh, but it used to cost you around say $100 to do your weekly grocery shopping. And now all of a sudden it costs you $150 or uh, e even on a smaller level, um, say you used to go and pick up a sandwich
went for lunch, a sandwich was always six dollars. Uh, now all of a sudden it's eight dollars. Um, and so those little things really have an impact on your overall family budget because you, your money's just not going as far. It's not like you're getting a raise uh, from your job to, to correspond to that. So a lot of people are really feeling this pinch and that in a nutshell is inflation. So inflation is now the highest that it's been since 2003, according to Statistics Canada. Inflation in Canada is at an 18 year high. Year over year, the commodity price index is up 4.4%, which is the highest again since February, 2003. The, the, the fear of all this, okay? So, so, so the idea of inflation sucks. It's terrible. It's bad for, again, your ability to budget, your ability to make ends meet. Uh, but, the, but the bigger fear here, the underlying fear, because we're talking about such huge numbers, such unprecedented spending, again, not just in Canada, but all over the world, is the fear of hyperinflation. And that is what really, really destabilizes societies. That leads to um, wars. It leads to huge... Um, mass scarcity and really just poverty poverty it's what can destroy a society so what exactly is hyperinflation it's a term to describe the rapid excessive and out of control price increases in an economy so it happens when the central bakers just sort of lose control they require to print so much money to keep up with the government spending that they just create such a huge input of cash into the system that that prices surge out of control that the value of money doesn't hold the value of money changes we've seen it um, in various places around um, in recent history in the last hundred years um, where you know the price of bread in the morning is totally different than the price of bread in the afternoon where um, the, the value of the money is less than the dollar that the, the paper that's actually printed in or the coin that's actually held and it, it, it's 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 very rare you know we're not there right now um, but but we should be more aware of how this happens how we get to these conditions and what happens after a country goes through something like that, uh, you know, it, it's happened throughout history. It's happened recently in countries like Germany, Russia, Hungary, Argentina in the last hundred years. So, so again, very concerning stuff and not the proper attention uh, needed. You know, if you ask left-wing economists or you ask um, people in the Trudeau government about the risk of hyperinflation, they'll just uh, shake their head, shrug and say, no, that's not, that's not a concern. That's not a concern. That's not going to happen in a stable country like Canada. And they don't give it any thought whatsoever, but it should be something that they think about. And so instead of talking about all these issues, all the, you know, I just sort of glossed over things. I didn't go into great detail in any of these issues, but instead of talking about any of this stuff, instead of focusing on any of the real issues that matter in the country, any of the economic reasons, again, we have our prime minister over in Scotland at the COP26, just virtue signaling, um, showing off, doing things that make him feel good, uh, totally over the top nonsense um, about a problem that's real too. You know, climate change is real. Climate change is a threat. Um, humans need to be able to adapt to our changing environment. Uh, some people see this as a huge threat. Some people see it as something that is a challenge that we can overcome. Uh, but regardless, you know, it, it, instead of dealing with all of the various crises that we see and the issues, uh, we have instead our Prime Minister Justin Trudeau with a singular focus on climate change. This is the only thing he cares about. This is all he talks about. This is what we see uh, him focus on the absolute most. And so we have these ridiculous pledges. First, he called for a global carbon tax. Not going to happen. Um, next, he says that Canada is going to uh, move forward on a pledge to cap oil and gas emissions, a hard cap that basically says that um, by 2050, no more emissions, zero, uh, net zero. 
uh, emissions down the road. So, so we see him talking about that because really, uh, you know, with, with, with a country that's struggling with job losses, with a country that's struggling with their money not going as far as it used to, with a country that's struggling with not being able to pay its bills, with spending so out of control that it has to resort to printing money in order to just pay the bills. Uh, yeah, let's kill our biggest industry. Yeah, let's, let's um, put a hard cap, put more Canadians out of work, uh, kill the economic engine of the country. Uh, why? Because of uh, green ideology. Okay, way to go, Justin Trudeau. Uh, this is one that I wanted to focus on because uh, I wrote about it in my column, truly, truly insane. So Ottawa pledges to end financing to foreign fossil fuel production projects in 2022. So the federal government is pledging to end all of its foreign financing of anything to do with oil and gas uh, by next year. Commitment will place heavy pressure on Export Development Canada, which provides loans, insurance, and other forms of financial backing to oil and gas companies. But it also impacts um, the Canadian pension and other pensions, um, public pensions, that invest in oil and gas around the world. So here, here's the idea. In times of uh, inflation, like we're experiencing now, there's a couple of things, there's a bit of advice that bankers tend to give to investors uh, about things that you can invest in to sort of hedge against inflation. So so during times of inflation, you want to protect your assets and you want to invest in things that will hold their value. And so you might uh, get recommendations to uh, purchase, you know, precious metals or maybe go into crypto or uh, real estate is usually a good one. And another good one is energy, uh, oil and gas energy projects, that is a good holder of value, a good hedge against inflation. So, so instead of the Canadian pensions and other assets investing in something to hedge against inflation, uh, Justin Trudeau is advising them to do the exact opposite and uh, go out and, and divest and sell all energy um, stocks and, and just get out of oil and gas and fossil fuel, um, again, for ideological purposes. So not exactly taking the advice of people who do this for a living, uh, going against common sense in this regard and selling off our oil and gas uh, assets um, because of ideology, because of green ideology, not very wise Justin Trudeau. But this brings us to a broader contradiction and a bigger problem, which is here we have a government, a Trudeau government, ideologically driven uh, left-wing government committed to uh, transitioning Canada away from energy, away from oil and gas, uh, blocking pipelines, doing everything they can um, to kill this industry in Canada. And meanwhile, they're still investing in, um, you know, you have Export Development Canada, which is a bank that helps with developing countries. They're still providing loans, insurance, and other financial backing to new energy projects around the world. Uh, what, a, what, a, what a bunch of hypocrites. What a huge contradiction that they are sitting at home telling Canadians to transition away from energy, oil and gas, and tr tr transition away from fossil fuels towards what? Um, unproven and risky um, alternatives. Meanwhile, they're still investing in oil and gas and fossil fuels around the world. So I, I guess at least with this pledge now, um, they're being consistent across the board. They're no longer punishing Canadians more than they're punishing uh, people around the world. But still, what massive, massive hypocrites. And again, instead of Justin Trudeau focusing on the issues that really matter, he's out there virtue signaling, he's acting reckless, he's putting his green ideology ahead of the best interests of the country, and we're all paying a heavy price for that. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show.